Well, good afternoon, everybody. Turn to your neighbor and say you're looking good today, but don't lie. Just, uh, just uh, greet somebody. <laughs> we'll need another level of forgiveness if that, <laughs> if that happens. Well, it's nice to greet you again, and thank God the sun's shining today. know about this weather here in Minnesota, but uh, somebody has to live here, so I'm glad the Lord chose you and planted you here, and I know there's folks from elsewhere as well, may God bless you, as long as the sun is shining. And Warren, don't you laugh, you live where the sun shines, so you, <laughs> hallelujah. Well, when I, when I, <coughs> when I saw the, uh, the title that Jim and his team had attached to this event, I really thought they should have added a little subscript to it. Uh, a lot of danger involved in these subjects. And <laughs> so I don't know what's going to come. I do know this, that in the process of God unpacking his intention over the, the, the church and the whole world, that uh, every now and again there's a surge from heaven of one emphasis or another. And so over the last several hundred years, why well, there's been enormous preaching about holiness and evangelism and turn of the last century, certainly a God-authored deal about the power of the Spirit, and uh, that continues on, and those things become uh, enculturated into the life of the church. We stand on them, we preach them and teach them, and I believe in my heart of hearts that uh, not only are things shifting around in the world and in our country, uh, who, who thought that even a couple of years ago, uh, the entire 1040 window would be embroiled and switching out uh, leaders were lifelong in some of these places. Who, who would have thought and done without warfare externally for the most part, mainly internal kinds of things? It's unprecedented. And uh, first comes the natural, then comes the spiritual. If that's going on in the natural realm, I promise you God's wonderful church is not going to be untouched by all of this. Uh, he's got some ideas about shifting us around too. And uh, I, I'll tell you uh, what you already know on this point. The change... That word is not easy for religious people. It just isn't easy for us. I sometimes say, and forgive me for being blunt, I try to be diplomatic most of the time, but uh, I think in charismatic circles the word change and fornication are a synonym. Uh, to be avoided at all cost. Just leave those two things alone. And uh, we, we just get in our tracks and we're comfortable. We like things the way they are. And yet God's ever moving. He's trying to get his church up to something better than it is. I'm glad to be part of it. We're on our way to a glorious day, and I don't want to stop now. I want to keep moving with him, keep, keep going on with him. And uh, one of the things that uh, the Lord is certainly putting his finger on is how we do church, how we do church. And uh, some things are going away. Some things are coming back. Uh, you know, there's been major wars and worship areas. Uh, when I was a kid, Pentecostal church, you could not have church without a hymnal and an organ, and it better be a Hammond, and you better have a Leslie connected to it, because it had a whoa, 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 whoa sound, and every, all the sisters got anointed when the whoa, whoa started. So you had to have that. Now if you have one, people say, what is that thing? And we don't have books. We, you know, we have neck issues trying to see where the hymn went. And so that's, so things have shifted. And then oldies don't like hip-hop type stuff because you can't sing it. 
and they're too old to shake their you know, bodies around. So we have all this stuff going on, which if we look at the little bitty parts, we can get confused. What it means in the macro sense is God's up to something, and he's moving us around, and he wants us to partner with him and not get fussed up and put our heels down and buck up. Uh, I don't know about you, but as a follower of Jesus, to say nothing to ministry, I want to grow until he comes or he takes me. I don't want to stop growing. I want to keep moving. I, I give him permission periodically. Change my mind. Change the way I think about these issues. Not the core stuff. I want to know more about that. But all the peripheral stuff. Lord, change my mind. You have permission to adjust what we're thinking about. And uh, that's the day we live in. How many think that's a fair assessment? Things are not like they used to be. And we're in this transitional thing, and that's always uncomfortable because we're out, but we're not in. And uh, <laughs> years ago, I foolishly preached a series of sermons from the Exodus called The Perils of the Journey. And while I was preaching them, we suffered everything I preached <laughs> in graphic depth. It all happened. Uh, because we had taken a congregation, the third week I was the pastor, out of a building they had been in 54 years, and they did not like me for moving them into a school uh, because that was the sanctuary. Well, there was no such thing. You could have raised goats in there. God wouldn't have cared, but they thought it was the sanctuary of God, and many of those families had physically laid the bricks in the place and paid for the bricks that they laid. How many understand attachment to the building? <laughs> So it had a value far beyond what I understood. But it got us moving, and after a while, when, when, uh, when you know, a few left, a few joined, finally we made that shift into something far grander. So all that to say, God's at work, and one of the things he's speaking about for sure is how we do church. And by that I mean specifically today, how we are governed in God. And we've tried nearly everything, haven't we, from bishops to apostles to congregational, the democratic, the let's vote, not vote, and all the stuff in between. And because God's good and kind, he's let that go pass and just blessed us anyway in spite of how we're doing business. Uh, but how many think it'd be worth making whatever changes he requires of us to get something better? Whatever better means. Not change for change's sake, but change for Jesus' sake. So we want to talk today a little bit about apostolic ministry, and here's my disclaimer. Uh, this session is going to be mercifully short uh, for uh, one primary reason, um, and I'm not here to complain. I just want to bring you into my life a little bit. We've been out of our house for nine weeks uh, because of a flooding issue, and it wasn't the rivers of God. It was some demon in the water pipes, but we were out of our house for nine weeks, and right where I had two files full of notes about this very conference. Water ran for two days. I don't know what's in those notes, but they're well watered, and I don't, even, I don't even know where they are. So when I finally got home from an overseas trip and found everything out of my house, including all the clothes and everything else, uh, this whole project just went somewhere, and I don't know where it is. So I apologize for that. So what's left is what I've been trying to discern from notes that even God may have trouble reading. <laughs> but they're in here, and if the Holy Spirit helps us, we'll try to get some ideas airborne and have an apostolic buffet here. And if you can find something you like, take it. So that's kind of where we are, okay? Everybody all right with that? I appreciate your forgiveness in advance. Thank you. Let's pray. 
Lord, starting now and on through the next couple of days, we, we don't believe that our moments together are accidental at all. Uh, we believe you have ideas for us. We do believe that uh, change in your name and for your sake is a beneficial thing. So we give you permission to invade us at some pretty deep levels and challenge our presumptions about how you do your stuff and take us to another place with you because, Lord, for sure, the world's getting darker, which means we need to get brighter. And uh, the encroachment of sin is on us. We know grace will abound. So show us those parts of grace that we, don't, that we just don't have a grip on or they don't have a grip on us. Let us get a hold of that over these days, not only in these moments, but the other brothers that will be teaching. Help us to get a hold of that in the good name of Jesus. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. A couple of things, then we're going to go to the scripture because the operative place, of course, is Ephesians 4 and all the stuff of he gave gifts, and he did. I've been blessed in the last 90 days to be in Greece twice, and one of the joys of those trips is to get some words out there to the brothers and say, how do you see this, since it's their tongue and their language? And it's really been fun to get a hold of that uh, because in English, uh, things sometimes come out a little bit light. As an example, in John's Gospel, chapter 1, we read things like this. Let's all quote it together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was... So Logos comes out Word, which is okay. It, it certainly means that. So just recently I said to one of the brothers, how do you, how do you understand this Word? What, where's, oh, you know, you English speakers do this very lightly. That's what was said. You do it very lightly. Okay, we do it lightly. What does that mean? Well, it's not just the thing that's spoken. In our language, it's like this. First, God is emotionally involved with us from his heart. And that emotional response in God causes him to have beneficial thoughts to us. And he loves us so much and thinks about us so profoundly, he has to say something. So, his passion and his thinking gets hooked together to something that comes out of his mouth, and that is the word logos. Well, that added some beef to it. Okay? So now, in the beginning, we were loved upon and thought about, and he loved us so much and thought about us so deeply, he chose to speak to us. I like that. Did you like it? I know some of you have been in meetings all day, and I can tell this is a toilsome to listen to this. But it really refreshed me that God loved us, thought about us, and then out of that context, he's speaking to us. And when we get all of that to lead us to this thing about apostleship, uh, I think there's a lot of things in the New Testament that are like that, uh, that there's more to be had. For instance, uh, on the day of Pentecost, uh, what was really going on was an agricultural festival. Is that right? Zen gathering. So the priest get a handful, and they get before God and say, thank you, God, for what's here, uh, because we know what's coming. This is the first part of something that's huge. And so God took something very simple, well-known, but added weight to that. And so now we have this annual celebration of the birthday of the church and this enormous worldwide thing going on, okay? Uh, I think this study these days of all of these uh, ministries is going to be like that for all of us. The apostleship is like that. I thought it was Peter and Paul and those guys and the 12 plus Paul and, and uh, you know, and, and Timothy and Apollos and those. 
20 altogether named in the New Testament. <clears throat> but I want to read a definition that I found, and I refound it, so I want to read it uh, because it really fits the bill this morning, or this afternoon, rather. It's the definition of apostle. An apostle, according to the Greeks, is an admiral of a fleet of ships, an admiral of a fleet of ships sent out by a king. I'll run this a couple times. Sent out by a king to discover, to explore, and to conquer, and to establish his government in new territories. So the person being talked about when the word apostle comes up is the admiral of a fleet of ships that heads out to explore and take new territory, and in some cases to evict an interloper that has landed on the king's territory. And... uh, the people who go with this man is called the ecclesia. So most English translations, I don't know which one you may be reading from today or which one's preferred here, but most English translations, when it says ecclesia, you get the word church out the end of it. I think that's another term, if I've heard my Greek brothers right, that has come out light. It's okay. It means that, set-apart folks, called-out folks. But there's a whole lot of other meaning wrapped into that and it, it comes out of this. So I've, I've said twice in the last 90 days to different brothers, when you hear the word apostle, what comes up in your mind? Oh, that's from the sea. That is a word from the sea. I said, really? So how do you see it? What we see is in the ancient Roman world and Greek world, when a king decided to do war, he would send a whole armada. Is that the right name for a fleet? Armada. Big, big bunch of armada. whole bunch of... Uh, how do I get armada? That's, I think that's a kind of margarine or something, isn't it? Anyway, at Armada, is that it? Armada, okay. A whole armada of ships would go, and the captain on the front ship was called the Apostolos, the Apostle. And his task was to take these people to some new territory that the king wanted, and to establish a colony there, and he did that with his ecclesia. His ecclesia wasn't a bunch of people saying, Hallelujah, Jesus, and Hundabah, Hundabahai. The ecclesia was a group of people who went to establish a government in that place, as well as evict whoever was there, but to establish a government on behalf of the king and make it as much like the king's home as his real home. So when he came, he was comfortable in that new place. How many see where this is going? Okay. So I got thinking about that because in our circles, ecclesia means people that raise their hands or don't, but praise Jesus. And we gather together to read his word and sing his music and love on one another and so on. But the piece that seems to be missing is that piece of authoritative rule, reign, make a difference, be an influence so strong in the community that the churches ask, how should government operate instead of the other way around, impinging on us. And as a result, one result, it's not the only one, and this is just Dale's opinion here, you can correct me if, if you like, But as a result, uh, Evangelical Church in America has largely become a consumer consumer organization. And it's driven by needs, not by the ambition of the king. And so sheep are very different than an army because sheep just need to eat and paddle around the paddock, but an army needs to fight. It needs to have a war to go to. And I just wonder if God is not trying to raise up a new militancy in us and get us beyond having to be driven by buildings full of people with needs. 
and define ministry by needs. And because of the lack of apostolic ministry in our country, a couple things come up short. One is we're very short on miracles and signs and wonders. But I, I want to prophesy to you, they're coming. All over the land, this land, not just Africa and other places where the presence of God's been very keenly expressed, but in this land, there's a rising tide of miracles and healings going on straight away, and not because of a person, but because of the presence of God. And uh, I could sign up for that because he gets the glory and people get the benefit. So it, it's, and that's going on now. Uh, there, there is not a day goes by, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, including today, that I don't turn on my internet and my message and hear a report from somewhere where the Lord has just done something spectacular on Sunday. Just, well, we were just, we were ready to take the offering and someone said, Pastor, will you pray for me? And we had a corporate prayer and someone was healed during offering time. How, how many want to get to that? Just, I mean, not, not just the offering, but the, I said offering. Oh, yeah, we're, I don't mean the offering. I mean a point where God can just invade our atmosphere without a bunch of hullabaloo and excess and just come. So that apostle guy is the one that's out front leading this armada, and the goal is to develop a new territory for the king. Now fit that into how we do church, okay? Are we taking new territory? What is the new territory if we had it to take? Where are we going with this? So uh, that's a good definition. I think you can work with it. And here's what the scripture says, Ephesians 4, uh, 11 to 13. And he gave some as, and I'll only do my part today, be self-serving, as apostles. That is, captains leading something that's going to conquer new territory. He gave people into the church to do that. And, um, well, here's what Jesus said. He said in Matthew 16, 18, he said, I'll build my church and uh, Satan won't, you know, he won't win against, against it. <clears throat> now, when he said that, I'll build my church. How do you remember that phrase? Three people do. It's in Matthew 16. He'll build his church. There was no church, physically. It was still an idea in God's mind at that point, before Pentecost. There's no church. So what is the reference point of Jesus Something was in his mind when he declared the church is, I'm going to create a church. Something was, there was some history in his thinking. I think it goes back to this old Greek and Roman stuff. That would have been the story Jesus heard and probably his mindset about, uh, about the idea of apostolic ministry and what we call church, ecclesia today. That probably was his mindset because that's what he heard historically from the Greeks. So looking backward, his mindset is, here are ships and captains, and they take territory. Now looking forward, I'm going to build a church, and I'm going to have people I'll call apostles, and they're going to take spiritual territory, and they're going to have a band of people that will settle the land. We'll call all of it Ecclesia, but that's what they're going to do. I'll build like that. Like Pentecost came with handfuls of grain, but the repercussions were huge at the other end. How many get where we're going with this, okay? So where is God drawing us along then? Well, let's look at the scripture just a little more. And he gave, and he gave, some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. And then right under that, 
And that section is a tier of understanding of what the work of those five people will be doing. And here's the reason we need them. Here's what the scripture says. To equip the saints. That's a very potent word, equip, and we'll deal with it after a while, perhaps. Equip the saints, number one. Number two, they'll learn how to do the work of service. Number three, they'll build up, it's all in your text, they'll build up the body of Christ. In the next verse, 13, uh, they'll work for the unity of the faith. They will promote the knowledge of God. They will work to mature people. And they will move us on till we come to the fullness of the stature of Christ. So that's the stack of seven things underneath that umbrella of what we're calling here fivefold ministry. Why do they minister? Here's the list. They equip the saints. Number two, they'll teach the work of service, what to do. Number three, they'll build up the body of Christ. Number three, they'll work towards the unity of the faith. Is that four or three? That's four. Okay, number five, they'll promote the knowledge of God. Number six, they'll promote maturity. They'll grow people to maturity in Christ. And number seven, they'll bring us to fullness, to a place of fullness. That's God's ambition that we come to fullness and to maturity. How many think those are worthy goals? Because as all of you know, because many pastors in the room, as all of you know, one of our, one of our huge deficits is in, the edge, is in the area of discipleship. How do we get people with the foundation of Christ really in them? Now, I'm going to make a statement that sounds political. I'm disclaiming any political attachment to it. The election a few days ago, uh, people that research this stuff say that 25 million evangelical Americans voted for the pro-gay, abortion-killing policies of the administration, voted for that. Now, whether Democrat or Republican is not today's discussion, and it's beside the point. The point I want to make is this. The foundation of Christ cannot have been in those folks, could not have been there, or you could not have voted for that, whoever your man is. You could not have voted for that. Now, I feel the room going, I wish you wouldn't have said that. Well, I, it's out there now, so that's part of that buffet. It's, it's, it's out there. Could anybody say amen if you have any courage? So the, so the foundation of Christ that will define my choices obviously had not been rooted very far down to allow that to slip by. It's because we've created in church, and it's manifest in the culture, a culture of entitlement. And so if, if Santa Claus is in Washington or in the pulpit, I like it here. And we're driven by need-consuming, driven houses, not by an ecclesia that follows Jesus in the way he expressed it to us. An army is one thing, but sheep just want to eat and go bad and lay down in the grass. But an army has to get up and go someplace. I remember years ago, Gloria and I lived in Dallas, Texas, and at the time, uh, Dr. W.A. Criswell was the pastor for a long time, First Baptist Church in Dallas. And he's a wonderful man and a very righteous brother. <laughs> and somewhere along the line, uh, some Hindu folks decided they were going to build a Hindu temple right downtown Dallas. And uh, so the evening news went to see Dr. Criswell and asked him what he thought about it. And in his best Texan draw, he said, well, it's just 
plenty fine that those dear folk moved here to Dallas. We welcome them to our fair city. But as a matter of a temple, that is not going to happen in Dallas, Texas, as long as I'm alive and pastor of First Baptist Church, which owns 30 acres downtown, by the way. There will be no Hindu temple, and there's not a Hindu temple today in Dallas, and he's been dead 15 years. Because the church had such influence, he was able to speak quietly to the commissioners and counselors. That was the end of that. I love that. That's not an anti-Hindu statement. It's a pro-Jesus thing. See, that's the ecclesia. Get, and, and how many of you, I feel for you, for, for many of you that pastor, you are de- no wonder you want to drink beer on Monday morning. You, you, you just, even if you hate this stuff, you think about it because you've heard a deluge of human distress all day long on Sunday. And then you're supposed to feel good on Monday. It's not possible. Instead of people saying, Pastor, come on, let's, let's do something righteous in the city. Let's join all the committees we can and to be a righteous. Well, my husband said something ugly to me today. You almost want to say, I have a word from the Lord. Be quiet. Is he saved? Collect his insurance. Send him. I mean, just, what do, do you know your mission and your assignment? If you don't know that, I don't know about your husband. But what's your mission? What's your assignment? And that changes the conversation, doesn't it? I've got some standard things I say to people that wander into our local church from other places. One of the first, because it's a soul winning place. And what do they want to do? They, they want to intercede and correct everybody or some other thing. Here's my standard shot right out of the gate. What's the name of the person that you led to Christ in the last year? Well, I'm an intercessor. No, we're not doing intercession. We're doing souls here. What is the name of the person that you led to Christ in the last two years? Well, you know the answer. Zero, they, can't, they don't have any because they're interceding. Okay? They're not interceding. They're, they're com- it's a complaint department with legs stuck on it. So, uh, and, and, and then we have to listen to that week after week. I don't think so. You know what? I just, I've never done this, but I sure have thought it, and this is a safe crowd to say it. I'd just like to say to some people, I don't give a rip. I don't care. Why don't you get somebody saved? You know, this feels so good to say that. But we'll keep that here today. Okay. So the reference of Jesus, how many have the drift here? The reference of Jesus, when it comes to the word apostle, doesn't have to do with who, who has a title has to do with who's functioning in an authoritative way from heaven uh, to do several things. So let me just round them out here a bit. If apostolic means church planting, and I believe it does, it involves nurturing, caring, and producing more leaders. It means peripatetic or traveling ministry, at least regionally, maybe nationally or internationally. It means that. Uh, it means huge adversities. Read the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Shipwrecked three times, day and night and sea, beaten three times with rods, in jail, out of jail. What was his uh, tenure when he went to a town? He'd go to the synagogue. What, what was it, about two weeks? And then the fur was in the air, man. It was on. And uh, so how would you like to live a ministry? Every couple of weeks you had a fight. Could stay in town more than two or three years. But that was his life. But look at the fruit. And we're probably one of the long branches here today on what he did all those years later. Imagine that. But that's, that's the neighborhood. And one more thing, an atmosphere of the miraculous. 
if that's what apostolic means, then that's how Gloria and I have lived the last 30 years. It's been wonderful. It, I will not take a title, but in terms of function, that's how we have functioned. And how many know it's not good to go to title-getting meetings? So this is not a title-getting conference. Let's just see how we function. What, what is, what, what's, what's the fruit coming out of your life? I do not have any human answer for the stream of stuff that has come through our hands the last 18 years. I have no answer humanly for what has happened. More now than $500 million worth of medical supplies alone, of which we have bought none. It has been donated. What's the answer to that? It's God doing some stuff. And we don't hold it. We give it. And it's amazing. We had to, we were trying to get three pallets of, four, five pallets of world beds off to the East Coast this week. And two phone calls got it done. How did that happen? That's a God thing. I don't know that many people. And I'm not that bright. I'm telling you. But God knows where people are that can move things around. And part of the apostolic is he moves people into your life for a season. Because there's a reason for that. And the lady that does all this aircraft stuff lives with her four kids up in the mountains, up out of Reno, Nevada, but on the California side, that she knows about airplanes and how to get stuff places. And when I texted her yesterday, she was in Africa, but today she got it finished. Hallelujah. So tonight, 11 o'clock, that stuff would be on an airplane going to New York City. Praise God. And so God gets the glory. And uh, we take stuff from all kinds of people. We get lots of adversity for that. People, ah, you shouldn't take that. That's from sinners. But those same men will take tithes from people who work for sinners and not even think about it the second time. But we can't take medical supplies and equipment and stuff. But once it gets on God's side, it's redeemed. It's not going to sin anymore. It's going to produce righteousness. So I'm not trying to defend it because we're going to keep doing it. As long as, long as it keeps coming, we're going to give it away. And sometimes it's great stuff. You know, uh, just, just before Christmas last year, I was over at our warehouse, and there's a, in the third building is a stanchion for a vehicle. And we're always looking for paramedic wagons because they're very expensive to buy, and even if they've got a few miles on them, we're happy to get them, because if, especially if the, the, the body is on it. You can store medicine, and they become, they become roving hospitals. So we're always looking for those things. And I looked over there, and I saw a big red panel. I thought, praise God, somebody's given us another ambulance or EMT wagons. Great. Yeah, but the little guy that works in that building said, oh, I think you should go look over there. Well, it wasn't that. It was a big red fire truck. I love fire trucks. I've always wanted a fire truck of my own. I thought the Lord has answered me. And I went over there and got a couple of guys that said, back this thing outside. I'm going to take it home. Said, You're going to do what? You've got to have a guy in the back and the front. I said, good. Well, you'll do. Get in the back. Let's go. And we'll ambush a Dalmatian dog somewhere. And that'll be great. It was just great. Who's, why would we get a fire truck? We're a medical mission. Why would we get a fire truck? Because some town out in the desert, it's time for it. You know, after so many years, they replace it. And we had been in the newspaper helping somebody, and their, their counselors or whoever saw it said, that, those are the people we ought to give this fire truck to. And so today that's already been shipped, and it's in Papua New Guinea. It's the only fire vehicle looking after five, five places. So who thought... I mean, it's like that. It's like that. People say, why do you buy all this? We don't buy. It just comes, and we give it away. Millions and millions. I mean, I've, I've told this to some of these churches. 
We were in Senegal a few months ago, and going to the airport, I say to the guys, what do you need here? Don't say money. Well, we need wheelchairs. Okay. Do you have any? I don't know, because stuff comes in and goes out a lot. I don't know what we have. When I got home three days later, I go over to the warehouse. What's in there? In one aisle is 122 brand-new wheelchairs and boxes that had arrived the day before. A truck driver is driving around trying to find us from the manufacturer. They didn't call. They didn't announce. They didn't say, do you want them? They just sent the truck. 15 pallets, brand-new wheelchairs, and they'll be delivered December the 4th in Dakar by our United States Navy at no cost. So somebody say, praise God. Now, I'll tell you what, that's on God's side. So Christians are putting wheels under Muslims that they're going to win to Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, I love it. So if that's what apostolic means, it means God brings people into your life. This lady does all the aircraft for us. I've never met her. Just phone. Another man named David Phillips. I've never met him physically. We've been in partnership for 15 years. He's a Mormon. And... uh, He called me one day, and here's what he said. Our people in some Ukraine or Moldova somewhere say that your people are the fairest distributors of stuff, and I want to help you. I said, well, tell me who you are, what you do. And he said, well, are you seated? I said, I am. (laughs) He said, well, I'm with the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. I said, that is really too bad. (laughs) And fortunately, he laughed thought later, that was a silly thing to say. And so we had a nice big talk, because the Mormons do some good things. They're very strong family people and a range of things that are beneficial. So we had a good talk for about an hour, and he said, well, I'm calling to help you. I'm willing to help you. Okay, how are you going to help us? Well, I'm a clothing broker, a used clothing broker. And it is, what is true is the Mormon Church in Salt Lake has one facility that has two million square feet under a roof. It's the biggest used clothing facility on earth is in Salt Lake. Two million feet is a lot of feet, okay? Trainloads of clothes come there. And he said, uh, so I'm willing to help you. You tell me any kind of clothes you want, winter, summer, boys, girls, kids, what age, men's, work clothes, blankets, boots. You got it. I said, okay. Well, what are we talking about? He said, well, let me see what we have here. Check the inventory. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll start you out with 55 containers. How's that? Now, here's God's man of faith and power going, hey, 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 hey. That wasn't tongues. That was fright. And because uh, every one of those is 44 tons of clothes times 55. One container, you can put clothes on a village of 800 people times 55. So I'm going, <laughs> Abraham's faith, staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. So I said, I'll tell you what. Why don't you give me a container a month? this year, because we don't want to create a black market. We want to be sure we can give this away properly. Fast forward. Uh, as of the end of last month, that number is now 15 million pounds of clothes the Mormon Church has given to us, free of cost, that we have already delivered somewhere in the earth. Let me tell you, Russia could be naked and we could handle it. That is a lot of clothes. Winter coats, all kinds of stuff. See, once it's on God's side, we can turn it into a righteous endeavor. Now, what I'm here to tell you is not how much stuff we've done. I'm here to tell you, humanly, I'm not built for all of that. I'm telling you, God has come and made a channel of blessing possible 
that makes our jaw drop when we see what's happened because we know intrinsically this is not us and we didn't produce it. The God of heaven came on scene and made all of this possible. He's added people to it. Uh, The apostolic is also about governance. It's about governance. And that's where some of us get a little sideways. Well, who's going to rule here? But, you know, uh, apostles received exousia, authority from heaven, but they walked it out relationally. That's the key, isn't it? It's to be sure that we're not just imposing some self-aggrandized position or title and push that on others as opposed to God's just done something in my heart and maybe it's wisdom or some more maturity and we can, we're walking a little bit ahead of some other brothers and whatever we've learned, we can share it with them and bless them. But that runs on relational lines, not on elections, not on appointments, not on titles that I'm this guy, therefore I rule. It's not like that. It's not like that. Um, How many know Jesus never had to say, I'm the boss? Listen, boys, I'm in charge here. Did that ever happen? He didn't have to. Why? Because it was so relationally connected, and the way he lived demonstrated who was in authority. Very, very clearly. Okay? Be ready for a lot of adversity. Here's why. There's there's two ministries that really tick the devil off pretty bad, the prophetic and the apostolic, and there's, there's very good reason for that. Prophetic makes declarations into his atmosphere. He doesn't like it. He doesn't want those words to land. But the apostolic comes governmentally to evict him. Apostolic people bring the presence of God where it has not been and establish it there. To use a corny analogy, they're the Marine Corps of the heavenly business. Literally all hell can break loose. They're going to still be standing because they have a grace to do that. They're going to come and put a stake down for God and a piece of his kingdom is going to be here before we leave. And we're not going to give up the ground. We are here to take ground in the name of Jesus. I remember being in New York City. I forget what the area is called. Somewhere in Queens, but it's not very nice. You know, around every parking lot is 12-foot fence with razor wire on it and everything. And I was going to a Puerto Rican Pentecostal church. And the pastor is a, was a lady at the time. She was 70 years old. She said, well, come for lunch, and then we'll talk and have lunch, and then we come back at night for the service. Well, there is graffiti all over everything. I was told that uh, by the secretary that three people were mugged between taxi cabs in the front door of the church on Sunday. (laughs) This is the neighborhood. Man, I'm walking very fast from the parking lot to get in the building. And this lady's about this big. She's 70 years old, threatening to nobody. And we come out on the street and turn right to go to a Puerto Rican restaurant, and there's a bunch of hoodies down here. How many know what that does to you? You're just like, I don't think I even want to eat. Let's go back and fast or something. <laughs> if you, you know. And I said to her, everybody called her mama. I said, Mama, what about those boys? <sighs> it's no problem. We get down there. And her church, there's not one speck of graffiti on the church. It's a big theater. I said, you guys paint everywhere? She said, this is God's house. And she said, I told him, if you paint God's house, he will kill you in your tracks. You will not. She said, you see any paint here? I said, no. So I said, you scared something into him and something out of him. I don't know what. We went down there. It was like the party, party under the seats. Hello, Mama. Good afternoon, Mama. Nice to see you, Mama. God bless you, Mama. Just parted right up. I said, oh, I'm glad I'm behind her. Praise God. I said, how does this work? Because of righteousness. 
So she's an apostle that wears a skirt and has landed in the middle of that place. Church is jammed twice on Sunday with 2,600 people. It's amazing how in the middle of all of that mess in an urban environment, that mantle is on her. She's bigger than a pastor, I'll tell you that. Now, I'm not making remarks about her size. I mean, just her, the influence of her anointing is far because I, I don't think I'd have walked down through the hoodies by myself. I don't think I would have. But if you have a Puerto Rican woman with you with an anointing, <laughs> it'll part the sea. It'll part the sea. So look for adversity. That didn't sound good, did it? But that's the nature of apostolic ministry. Satan doesn't want us in a lot of places. You ought to hear some of the stuff that's been said about us and aggravations. And, but you go anyway. Why? Because the word that sent you is bigger than the word that comes against you. The grace that gets you where you have to go is bigger than whatever resistance is coming down the pipe. It's bigger than that. So it's not a matter of arrogance that, hey, my daddy's bigger than your daddy. It's not about that. It's we know in whom we have believed. And here's what we know about him. He's able. We can put the period right there in that verse. It'll still work. He's able. He's able to keep us. He's able to send us. He's able to sustain us. Okay? Let's take a short break. We'll come back, and I'll give you a little more. Ten minutes. Then they get invited, and pretty soon they could be busy all the time. And at the same time, they go through an internal hardship so that the local thing they're doing does not have the same intensity of ownership in them as this. In other words, their grace has gotten bigger than their assignment in one place. And it's an enormously frustrating time because you love the people you're with, but something from heaven is drawing you to spread the joy around to other places. And... Uh, it, it can create tension if a church can't grow with the man or woman of God that's leading the place. That's happening quite a bit these days. And uh, several people in our circle of friends are gone one Sunday a month and ministering to other kinds of churches. Uh, some of you may know the name Glenn Foster. It was many years in Phoenix, Arizona, a real prophetic guy, large church. And he began that church by saying, here's how we're starting. The first Sunday of every month, I will not be here. Because my, my grace in ministry is to reproduce leaders, and I'm an encourager. And all the years, he pastored there, I guess, 30 years before he passed away. But the first Sunday of every month, he was gone. And there was great joy in the church. Not that he was gone, but that they were ready to send him and, uh, and allow him to bless others. And he was an enormous blessing. And that church never lacked for finance or staff or people by giving their ministry away. So if you're working through that process, don't think it's some strange thing that has come on you and that the devil's trying to disrupt your life and wreck your church. He's trying to release you and grow your church. And we grow by giving it away, not by constraining it and throttling it back. And uh, I just want to encourage you that this is happening more and more. And who better to talk to pastors uh, than another pastor who's walked through some of these tough places or good places, just walk it through. And uh, I don't know how you guys are built for ministry, but I always like to have somebody, especially come to our board meetings, that has preached longer, has larger ministry, has done more, seen more, feel more, know more. And just let them talk so we can let, let oh God stretch our hearts. Just get our vision up there, and we may think we're doing great, but how many know there is another mountain to climb and another trail to walk on? Lord, say something to us in this. And uh, it, it, it's amazing what can happen. It's just amazing. Uh, 
Years ago, Ralph Mahoney was a very powerful influence on my life. And one day I went to see him because he was publishing a book called The Shepherd's Staff. That ministry is still publishing that. It's a thousand-page training manual, which he wrote at home while he was nursing his wife, his first wife, Rose, until she passed away. While she was sick and dying, he wrote. And uh, he wrote it for the Chinese house churches. And he, so I, I went to see him, and he said, well, meet me at the office. I have to go to pick something up. And we set the two of us on one side of a conference table. And on the other side of the conference room was this enormous map of China. And I don't know how many of you here knew Ralph personally, but the man's a genius. And for three hours, he's explaining to me off the top of his head the history of China. And so we're going through the whole deal. And, uh, and then the presence of God began to settle. And he said, we're going to put this shepherd's staff in the hands of every house group leader in China. And I'm thinking, how in the world is he going to do that? And at the time, he thought the number was 600,000. How do you do that if there's not an apostolic anointing on you? How do you do that? And he looked at me and he said, and it's going to be bigger than that. It still raises my skin up now. And it's going to be bigger than that. I said, I'll just be happy with that. He said, nothing but bigger than that. And out of my mouth, at that time, we're working in Russia. I said, Ralph, what about Russia and Philippines and Taiwan? Indonesia. He said, and I didn't know what that meant, and a little bit he called me and said, I'll print them for Russia if you'll get the language done and you'll do the distribution. How many do you need? <laughs> How many churches are there from Poland to Vladivostok? I don't know, but I'll find out. He said, well, let's start with 10,000. That's a good number. Okay. I didn't have a clue. I mean, it frightened me. This guy's talking about China. This was just going to the supermarket buying donuts. And then he says, well, you, why don't you just do Russia? Why don't you just do Russia? <laughs> I can see it doesn't bother you. It bothered me very much. <laughs> but we did do Russia. And God gave us favor. And uh, favor at the borders, because these things are printed in India, and shipped into the Black Sea, and then on certain days come off the docks, and off they go. And we trusted the brothers, and we thought it would take a couple years to get them out where they needed to go. It took eight months. And then there was a demand for another 15,000. We said, we shouldn't print these in India. Can you handle it? I said, well, yes, I, I guess. So we got the plates, moved them to Kazakhstan, started printing more. We could print them cheaper and better there. And to my knowledge, there could be somebody we missed. Could be, for sure. Probably was a few. To my knowledge, this afternoon, every single Baptist pastor, their elders, and every single Pentecostal and their elders have shepherd staff from the Polish border all the way to Vladivostok. And inside China, World Map has already placed in single hands over 500,000 of those shepherd staff in Chinese house churches. That's a miracle. What am I saying to you? I'm asking you in the name of Jesus to dream bigger than the thing you're in. And that's, sometimes that takes a mind explosion or somebody to come along and challenge us. And I didn't go see Ralph to get challenged. I went up there to talk about several things. He said, why don't you do Russia? 
<laughs> I wasn't shopping for an assignment, but it was God all the way. So I challenge you with that, and especially if you're pastoring, because you guys know sheep better than I do. You deal with them every week, and you know that the view of an American pastor is you belong to us, and we're paying you to be available. We're paying you to be accessible. One of the parts of growing in God is to be less accessible to your own people. You have to restrict access. Our church has grown from nine people to over 10,000. And I want to tell you what. Part of that consequence is our pastors had to reinvent himself 15 times at least. And reinvent means every time we had another growth explosion, what will you not now be doing? What committee will you not chair? What will you, I mean, he, he hasn't taught in our Bible school for six years, but we finally have him up where he'll make a guest appearance, the president of the Bible school and the pastor of the church. He'll make a guest appearance annually so the students can touch him and have a night with him. Guess what? He doesn't need to teach in our Bible school. And he's a brilliant teacher. He doesn't need to. He needs to be locked up behind that door, which has been his practice since our church began. Two and a half days a week, the door is closed. When he comes out of the pen, it's hot. The manna is fresh, and that's been the life stream that's made our church grow. How I many know the bigger you get, the more that is in danger? Because he could really be busy worrying about what to paint, what to mow, who to hire. He could be busy with all that. He will not take that stuff up. He just won't. And some of you are so talented, you could pastor four churches at once, and as long as you do it all, your folks will let you do it. And uh, you may have to get a whole herd of 70 percenters, which means you can do it quicker, better, faster, and cheaper. They'll do 70% of what you 70 is good enough. Let them do it. So you don't. If you want your ministry to grow, it's restricted access. That's part of the part. But what I'd like to do now to, to uh, really allow all of us to kind of get our teeth into this notion about apostolic ministry is uh, we're going to break up into some small groups here. I won't count you off. We can do it really quick. I, I would like to have you in, in your circles write a job description for an apostle. How many would you like to have one? An apostle. There's no appetite here at all for office apostles. <laughs> okay. Write a job description for an apostle today. What would they be doing? What would it look like? What if this person began to arise in your local congregation? What would the earmarks of that be? What would the characteristics of it be? And let's take seven or eight minutes with this, and we're going to report out. Uh, let's break up maybe five or six people in a circle. Just turn your chairs around really quick. I'm asking for a job description of a 2012 apostle. What does that person look like? What do they do? What kind of character are we after? How would we treat them? How would we release them? There's uh, just just to remind you a little bit. There's something very rich about, uh, very rich in the history of your fellowship that's unlike many, and that is, you had some early founding fathers that really fit the bill of what we're talking about here today. 
Uh, E.C. Erickson in Duluth certainly would be one of those men that uh, was a multiplier, uh, had authority over regional churches, not because he was elected, but because he was godly. And because of the download, there's men in ministry today that are uh, reproducing, planting churches and going on. Roy Johnson was on the West Coast. What was the brother's name in Chicago? Peterson, is that who was down there? And others that were in your movement that I don't know, but they spawned churches, raised up leaders, sent them out, and here we are today. Thank God for those men and women that uh, toughed it out and went for it. It's great. Uh, the development of the Pentecostals in Australia is something like that. Uh, even though there's huge movements there now, what began was the fruit of about five or six men in various parts of the country. Uh, Trevor Chandler and Clark Taylor in Brisbane. Uh, each of those men's local church spawned somewhere between 150 and 500 churches each. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Uh, Hal Oxley down in, in, in Melbourne, dozens of men are in ministry today all over Australia and have reproduced sons and grandsons in ministry from those churches, and Andrew Evans over in Adelaide and, and others. Uh, Howard Carter, for a lot of years, was around Brisbane. And out of the, the loins of those ministry, there was something upon them. They'd lay hands on a young couple, send them out, and before you knew it, they'd be in some farm town, three, four hundred members. Just, what was that? It's apostolic ministry. And if I might really get risky here, it's transferable by the laying on of hands. If you really have it, you can give it away. And there's nothing else to account for that. It wasn't education that got them from A to B by itself. It was the anointing that got them from A to B. And maybe we should rely on that a wee bit more these days. Hmm? All right. Well, there was a group right here. And who will speak on behalf of those who are right here? Okay. Uh, go for it. Yeah, that'd be good. That's good. Yeah. Number one, be connected to God and anointed by the Spirit. Number two, be called and sent out. Number three, be recognized by the church as anointed and called. Number four, have a revelation of the whole, God's big picture. Number five, show a demonstrable power, God at work through signs and wonders. Number six, be a word that goes forth in power. Seven, establish a new work, take new territory. Number eight, a leader of leaders, one who leads by action and initiative. Number nine, one who explores new possibilities, directed by God and waiting on God. And number ten, one who refuses to stay in the box. Fantastic. Really just... <laughs> I thought you'd like that, Jim. Do, do, do I detect some religious slather going on here? What? <laughs> Boy, that's a... How, how much do you want for your meal tonight, bud? <laughs> very, very good. Very, very good. Who's, who's next? Who was in the middle here? Hollis, you're going to be on? Okay. Okay, so we have 12 points. <laughs> I think that was the number of the apostles, by the way. 
actually a lot of them are the same. Um, where they go, things happen, number one. Number two, desires the things of God more than the things of man. Number three, someone that is out front, willing to take risk. Next one, someone who's driven by God's purpose. Some would say led. Um, another, the next point, dissatisfied with the status quo. They're a change agent. Uh, next one, involved in the supernatural. Next point, someone who attracts and develops leaders. Next point, someone who irritates those who are satisfied with the status quo. More like a general in the army rather than a pastor shepherding sheep. However, next point, they are a pastor of other pastors. Uh, Number 11, preaches the gospel in new territory. And number 12, moving forward with or without you. So there you go. Very good. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, here's ours. Apostle, a sent one, sent by God with anointing and power, and sent somewhere with divine purpose, and unclear on how the mission will be completely fulfilled, but trust God. He establishes a territory by taking it supernaturally, and then governs the territory for the great sender. He raises up leaders in his territory and has the authority to represent God. Very good. Uh, selectively care, uh, carefully selects uh, who to invest in and where. That was had to do with your your restrict, restricted access. Mm-hmm. Hears from God, spend time hearing from God. Initiates new kingdom ventures, new influential ways to build the kingdom. Uh, inventories results by uh, looking at effectiveness of ministries and response of people and affirmation for what they've done, and uh, effectively transitions by equipping people to carry on what they have initiated. Fantastic. Very good. Who's uh, the spokesperson here? Okay. And we have 13. (laughs) (laughs) I must admit, they're not all description. They're some qualification job. So, and, and it's similar to some we've already heard. Promotes and encourages other pastors. A good people person. That was questioned a little bit. Explore new territory and conquer. Initiating new ministry. Able to cast vision. Able to mentor and train leaders. Willing to travel. Demonstrate the power of God in his ministry. Responsible for giving appropriate correction. Visionary. Must maintain intimacy with God. Integrity, a person of integrity, and protect the integrity of the gospel. Very good. Very good. Thank you. Yeah. Just putting it in order, man. <laughs> yeah. 47, 48, 49. Okay. <laughs> He's uh, a person possessed by God. Uh, processed, I'm sorry, not possessed. <laughs> Can't read my own writing. <laughs> well, whatever uh, works, you know. Probably both. Uh, processed by God to have a true father's heart, a kingdom mindset, a passion for reaching souls, bringing saints to maturity, 
across, he crosses lines with a spirit-engendered boldness, not a carnal arrogance. He's got a clear sense of call, diagnostic gift to see how to enter an unreached people or a new region or a different generation. And he's a wise problem solver. Uh, will have an expanding ministry while staying connected to the people he came from. Very good. Very good. Somewhere in this, I think we all should have got a profile. So between all of this, wonderful. Got some ideas? Okay. Want to just tidy this up with this. Uh, <clears throat> there's a, a book out. Uh, f- forgive me, I don't know the exact title, but it's easy to get. The authors are John Mayo, and M-A-Y-O, and the last name is Norita. They are up at Harvard Business School, and uh, the only reason you'd want to buy that book is if you have insomnia, because you'd be healed completely. Uh, the book is, is, is nine, the 900 major successful business leaders of the last century, 900, and then all the data to support the thing. But what I want to bring to you is the summary, which has high value for us here at ministry. And uh, when they got all this data clamped together, <clears throat> they started putting some questions against it. Is there some common denominators among all these people, business people? The answer is yes, there was one notable one, and I'll get to that in just a moment. But they identified, uh, Derek's remarks back there a little while ago stirred this to my thinking, so I'll just toss it out for your thinking. Uh, they identified three major business types of all these 900 that built very successful corporations, three types. First type was entrepreneurs. And entrepreneurs, they call, these, these are all their titles, they called M&M, mold makers, which means, you know, it's Bill Gates, it's Zuckerberg, those guys that, that start whole new kinds of industries. In fact, someone just told me, I haven't checked it personally, but someone just told me of the, uh, uh, of the top 20 stocks on the Dow Jones, Dow Jones 20 years ago, only one remains. All the rest are new something, those kinds of folks. So they make something that is good for the culture, and they sell a whole lot of it. Whoever heard of, of Apple and the rate they sell stuff? I mean, it's just it's, it's in the history of the world. Nobody has been able to market quite as successfully as they have. It's really quite amazing, isn't it? Yeah, we only sold $5 million on Saturday. <laughs> okay. Uh, the second category is what they call, their words, charismatic leaders, and they call charismatic leaders mold breakers, which means, in their genre of writing, they took the stuff that was invented and created a better mousetrap. Example, I'm uh, aware of a, uh, of a new invention in Australia, which, uh, I don't know quite how to describe this thing, it's about the size of a water softener. Does that communicate, water softener thing, about that big? Uh, it's actually an electro- electrical exhilarator. So it just means that if the power bill in your house is 200 a month, if you can hook this between the grid and your meter, your bill will now be $25 a month. Okay? Now you think of the repercussions of that. And a brother invented this thing. And while an electronic, electronic engineer uh, is building the prototype, he says, I'm going to upgrade the efficiency of this 25% just by changing that. And I don't even know what that was. But, he, but his mind, with his electronic expertise, he said, this thing is a world changer, and I can make it better, and it's not even on the market yet. 
That's a charismatic leader in their genre of discussing things. And then finally, the third type of business leader that they identified was managers. And all these three kinds built enormous multi-million dollar, in some cases, multi-billion dollar businesses. And a manager they called, the manager types, they called mold takers, which means they didn't change anything. They just accelerated the pace by which they could use what the other two guys had made. Okay? In other words, they didn't build an iPod but they found a way to sell four million of them instead of a million a day. So they found a way to do that. So whether you were an entrepreneur or charismatic or a manager, all of these people were roaring success and made up the bulk of their 900 leaders that did good business. So then the question I want to bring to you, or the last little piece of this apostolic thing today, because this guy up here is probably, in the business sense, one of those because he's willing to go in new territory, think what hasn't been thought before, try stuff that hasn't been done before, and give it a go. That would be apostolic in our language. Uh, take the risk. Take the risk. Um, the question was put to this whole big piece of data about business leadership. Is there a common thread, a common denominator between all these business people uh, that can be clearly discerned? And the answer quickly became, yes, there is. And here was the common denominator. All of them, according to the good doctors, all of them were able to see the needs in their culture and marketplace at the time their products were out. They could see it and seize the opportunity that that presented. I'd like to leave you with that as the last thought today. A great part of leadership, apostolic leadership, is seeing what others don't see. I've seen an opportunity a way to fill a need, a way to create a ministry uh, that you don't have, that may not be in place now, that's going to do something uh, to advance the cause of Jesus and see what happens. In our little shop, one of the things that happened, a Hispanic lady came to us, and she said, I, uh, I do a little social work over at a certain school in Santa Ana, and that school is riddled with all kinds of the poverty issues, the ethnic issues, all the stuff. And, uh, I, and I want to help, especially this one class I want to help. Well, how do you want to help? Well, these kids, they fall asleep in class because they don't have food. They just don't have enough food. And she said, I think I've got enough friends together. I, I just need some help. I don't know how to facilitate this. Okay, we'll, we'll give you our conveyors and stuff. What do you want to do? Well, it, for that, yeah, this is three years ago. So it came down to this, that for all 30 kids, we bought two backpacks for each of them, stitched their, had somebody stitched their name on it. One backpack is full of school supplies, and we keep one in our warehouse. On Thursdays, it's filled up with food. On Fridays, it's taken to the school, and they unload their school supplies in a bin that's locked, and we bring that, our workers, bring that backpack back, and the next Thursday, it's full of food. Last year, we fed 3,000 kids in the Orange County School District. That's a lot of food. That's a lot of packing on Thursdays, let me tell you. It takes a whole stream of people and warehouses. But it has just grown and grown and grown and grown. And now it has become a standalone evangelistic ministry called We Got Your Back. Because if we're feeding your kids, we think we have a right to come to your house. Because if there's hunger in your house, there's probably a lot of other issues that the gospel can solve. 
And so people are being saved. I don't know the rate, but I do know this. People are being saved every single week. Because on Thursdays, a whole gang of ladies' groups, youth groups, men's groups, military people, all kinds of folks, Red Hat Ladies Society, all kinds of folks come, and they pack backpacks with rice and beans and powdered milk and stuff. And on Friday, our workers take it to the schools. And then people during the week are going to the house. How can we help you? Can we pray for you? Every week, people are coming to Christ. And interestingly enough, because the visits are made in the early evening, it's husbands and wives that are coming to Jesus because food's going to their kids. See, brothers and sisters, there is a way. He said, I'll give you keys. And the key is a way to uncork the thing. And I don't know about you, and I don't have any complaints. I love Jesus, love my church, and, and all the rest. But I, I'll tell you, I'm not satisfied just to have church services. We're, we're, our destiny is bigger than that. It's wonderful, and we need it. And when I'm home, I go to my church. I love going and all this stuff. Love teaching, preach there, love to enjoy. But we're created, that, that should be the fuel station, the pump us up, the envision department, where God has given permission to lay hold of us to impact our world in, in practical ways. Are you on that page? And so whether you're, you have a huge church or a small one, I'll tell you the kind of church that I pray for you, that you'll be a church of influence, whatever the number is, whether you have five or 2,000, that your church will be a place, a go-to place for the community to save that place, those people have the spirit of Jesus in them. And you don't have to feed 3,000 kids. We didn't know all that was going to happen, but it just was. And uh, we didn't even know how we are going to do all that this year. But at our fundraiser about a month ago, there was really a rich guy sitting in the front when I was talking about this program. And I saw him lean over and whisper to his wife, and my heart said, he's got the money, and we're going to get it. He's got the money, and we're going to get it. So afterward, I talked to him a little bit. And... uh, uh, he wanted to ask a few questions, and he did. I said, you know what? He said, well, how big of a check do you need to make that work? I said, I'll tell you what. I don't want your check tonight. I want it, and we'll come and get it. But I don't, I don't want it tonight. Why? I want you to come over on Thursday afternoon and help us pack some backpacks. And Friday, just give us an hour. And why don't you see the faces of those little kids? Or the, and then let's talk about money. Oh, the money came out of his wallet. Just hit. Just <laughs> and I wasn't digging for more. I want his heart. If you have his heart, you'll get this. See, because that project's more important than him giving checks. Those kids are more important than that. So, what could you do? That's this little something fell on us. We didn't think of it. We didn't dream it. But here come this gal. Who was kind of, you know what? We're kind of built for this. We're packing stuff and moving it around. We're kind of. We get groceries and. We never get a can of ketchup. We get three truckloads of it, you know, and all kinds of stuff. And it, it just, you know, somebody dropped off about eight kegs of whiskey one day. Well, it's going to be fun trying to pray over this and give it to somebody. We don't know who we're going to. You know, very happy in our warehouse for several weeks after. <laughs> no, no. No. That sort of went down the old gurgler. But you just, you never know what's going to show up. A guy newly saved in our church came to our church picnic with a big kegger on the back of his truck. Pastor, I bought the beer. Oh, well, good. <laughs> I love belonging to a church like that. I don't mean you can drink beer. I mean that people feel it's okay. That didn't sound right. I mean they feel like they can come and not be condemned. I mean, how many know what I'm trying to say, and I'm, I'm digging a hole for myself? Any questions on this? Does this make sense? The common denominator was... They could see into the culture where their product would do a job, and they captured it. 
Can you do that in the town where you live? What are the felt needs where you live? And I tell you in Jesus' name, the power of God's up to it, creatively and every other way. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters that faithfully, week by week, stand in pulpits across this region of our great country. We say to you this afternoon, O oh, living God, we not only need you, we are desperate to have a fresh touch from you that involves fewer, further sanctification of our lives, that involves a whole burst of creativity of our minds, that re-empowers our evangelistic heart to love souls and then love more souls and more souls, that'll tie us even tighter to uh, the fiat of your word. We will not compromise on what you've said about yourself and about human activity. And, oh, God, raise up your kingdom here in the central part of this country and use my brothers and sisters going forward in ways they haven't even dreamed until now. And let the dreams come from heaven, the anointing come from heaven, the ideas come from heaven, empowered by the Holy Ghost for the saving of souls and to the changing of our culture. We pray for America tonight, and we pray for the churches that are in it, that both will come around to deeper levels of integrity and righteousness in the good name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. All right. Excellent. Let's uh, thank our brother, friend, for bringing us the word today. Very helpful. Okay. Um, I'm going to take a moment of your time, if you can just hang in there for five minutes.